Well, hello and welcome to What's Brewing, CISFA. What's Brewing, CISFA is a podcast produced for the California Community College's Student Financial Aid Administrators Association. I'm your host, Dennis Schrader. I serve as 2021-2022 CISFA past president. As this podcast is being taped at a weird time on Tuesday, Dana Yarbrough, my co-employee and co-host, is unavailable today. But we'll go solo. What's Brewing Susa hopes still to inform and entertain you 30 minutes at a time. So let's get this show started. And welcome to another episode of What's Brewing Susa. Let's start this thing off with our first cups. And amazingly, I am drinking some coffee here because it's a little later on a Tuesday. All I have is sparkling water at the office, and the vending machines have not quite started up yet. So I got to get what I can while I'm here. So as I said, Dana can't join us today. Hopefully by Friday, she'll be back. So we'll make this a regular news day for everybody. We have plenty of news on the horizon. And so let's get get right into it. If we have time at the end of the day or the podcast, well, maybe we'll do a little I Dare You Do stuff. So a variety of things financial aid related, but first, one that isn't. An interesting article at Inside Higher Ed. The title, I think, says it all, and I think we can all relate to this. Incoming freshmen are mentally exhausted. So there was an annual beginning college survey of student engagement Uh, done recently, and it found that 53% of first-year students reported a substantial increase in mental and emotional exhaustion. Of those, nearly 70% indicated high expectations of academic difficulty compared to 42% of their peers who did not experience greater exhaustion. Additionally, 30% of students surveyed reported increased depression, 27% said they experienced greater loneliness, and 20% Hopelessness. So it does sound kind of bad, but I guess we can forgive people in the sense that, you know, we are in difficult times and certainly students that are going off to college, if they've had some time off, whether they're recent high school graduates or maybe the year before and they stayed out, these are very tough times. I think this is why we see a larger focus on mental health at colleges and more services being made available as we expand mental health services, um, even with students, you know, going online, we still need those services. I'll have a link to the show, uh, uh, to the article from Inside Higher Ed, and it has a link inside of it to the actual report. It's some interesting reading here to help us understand what's going on with the students who are coming to us for the first time. Another article, uh, this one uh, out of the Washington Post. I think some people may have heard of this already. As you, did, as you may have known, there was a pause put on student loan, uh, federal student loan repayment, and it was just recently by the Department of Ed said uh, on Friday last week that it will extend the, ex- the suspension of payments through January 31st of 2022. This will be the fourth time the agency has given, 
you know, a little bit of breathing room here and it made this expansion. The department does say that this is expected to be the final extension. And this is because the moratorium was set to expire just on September 30th. But, you know, congressional Democrats had urged the Biden administration to push that back a little bit longer because we're still, you know, students are still struggling, probably to find jobs, reestablish themselves, get through this pandemic. But at this point, there is that extension. So if you have student loans, keep that in mind. You might be getting some information from your servicer about this to let you know it's been extended till January 31st. I'll put a link to this article. It's not a very long one, uh, but it's certainly worth reading. Gets you caught up on things of what's going on, specifically with federal student loans. Another update, this one's straight from federal student aid. Uh, There's something out there in the financial aid world called professional judgment. Those of us who are professionals working in the field know of this. This is the part of the federal law that allows us to make adjustments to students' information on their FAFSA. For example, you know, a student and a parent, they fill out their FAFSA every year. It asks for income information from a particular period of time. For example, students coming this fall of 2021 did their FAFSAs almost a year ago, starting last October 2020, and they used tax year information from the year before, the tax year of 2019. But obviously, a lot of things have happened since then. People have lost jobs, retired, uh, changes in family structure in 2020, and obviously we're almost we're more than halfway through 2021. There's nowhere on the FAFSA for a student to put this kind of information. So what do we do? Colleges, the financial aid offices, and this is one of our important roles, have always had the ability to do professional judgment and look at these type of circumstances. Losses of jobs, retirements, layoffs, um, losses of family members, things like that, and see if based upon what's more current and happening compared to what was put on the FAFSA for the information asked will make a difference in eligibility. Because what it comes down to is all the numbers that you put on a FAFSA come up and help you calculate what's called an expected family contribution. In a sense, it's an index. And actually, in a couple of years, we changed it, the whole name to student aid index again, back from the olden, olden days. That really indexes high or low the financial need of a given student based upon all these parameters, income, taxes paid, assets, how many people are in the household, etc., So this new update that was just put out a couple days ago here, August 16th, is just an update on the use of professional judgments by professional judgment by financial aid administrators. And so it's a reiteration of the fact of what we can do. And the update here is, you know, to just let us know, and I'll quote it verbatim, despite improvements in the labor market over the past six months, millions of Americans remain unemployed or underemployed. Unfortunately, they are often not aware of the thousands of dollars in educational funding that may be available to them under the Higher Education Act. And so they remind us that they encourage us to let students know and to use documentation of things like unemployment and such to help recalculate students' aid eligibility. I know most, if not all, my colleagues out there in financial aid world and community colleges and otherwise would certainly agree with this. Yes, It's a bit of a workload, 
yes, it could be over uh, overwhelming sometimes, and sometimes the process for students, again, we have to think of the students, it's overwhelming for them too. But we do have this opportunity for those students who uh, they and their parents may have had reasonably good financial times a couple years ago, might be going still through some issues that we can take care of and adjust their aid now based upon. So I'll give you that link to our FSA partners website in our show notes. Let's do a little update from our friends at the California Student Aid Commission. And I can tell you, I just worked with them today. Today, I think was maybe the first or one of the first uh, all uh, uh, annual student financial aid workshops that go across the state. We used to do them in different places, so it kind of made a difference. You know, they'd be in Southern California, Northern California, in the middle of the state. They're all virtual right now. But these are workshops aimed at high school counselors and other nonprofit entities that may have staff who work with students uh, in high schools who are coming off and coming out and coming out to colleges. And so being involved with this project in the Student Aid Commission for many years, uh, we had our first one today where we talked about updates from the federal government, including some stuff I've talked about or will talk about today, and updates from the California Student Aid Commission. On top of that, just a couple days ago, they put out a new operations memo, primarily to high school counselors and principals, but just so you all know about this too, this ops memo reminds districts and high school administrators of some important deadlines. For example, first and foremost, High school graduation verification. So high schools must verify the graduation of their students who have not certified by August 31st. So only students who have been awarded a Cal grant will need to have their high school graduation verified. So this is part of the step for being Cal grant eligible. So a student's Cal grant entitlement award is placed on hold until a high school graduation requirement is satisfied. And either, again, the student self-satisfies before August 31st or a high school does it thereafter. So the form or the operations memo goes on to explain how that is done. The other thing is for the coming school year, the 2022-23 school year, there is a GPA submission process for schools. So GPAs for the class of 2022 must be electronically submitted no later than October 1st, 2021. And this is as specified in our education code uh, again, unless a student has decided to opt out. And again, reason for this is state Cal grants do require GPAs as part of the um, eligibility requirements. Schools, high schools in particular, should be submitting those sooner than later. And again, by October 1st. And the reason for that is the GPAs only use junior and senior you know, high school grade, uh, you know, high school grade level grades. And so those are already in the system. These are for your seniors this year who will be going to college next year. So we want to get those GPAs in as soon as possible because students can be doing their FAFSAs or their California Dream Acts as early as October 1st. That's why we have that deadline. This way, the California Student Aid Commission can put their machinery right into, right into use and start sending off initial notices to students of eligibility for Cal Grant if those GPAs are in the system. So, high schools, get on that. For more information, check out Operations Memo GOM 
I'll put a link in the show notes straight to the PDF on that. One more piece of news before we take a little bit of a break here. Uh, The Department of Ed has announced an expansion of Second Chance Pell Grants. So this was announced just uh, Friday ago, or it could have been two Fridays ago, depending upon how long I've had this email sitting around. But they announced that it would be expanding its Second Chance Pell Experiment by inviting new institutions to participate. So this program allows approved institutions of higher ed, like colleges and universities, to provide Pell Grants to incarcerated students. There are currently 131 institutions participating, but Friday's announcement will allow up to 200 two-year and four-year colleges and universities to provide Pell Grants for their programs through this experiment. Institutional institutions interested in applying to participate uh, may submit an application to the Department of Ed. An electronic announcement was published recently also, which includes the instructions on how to do this. Applications will be open from July 30th, which means they're already open, except for the coming 2022-23 school year, and should be submitted no later than October 28th of this year. I'll put a link in our show notes if this is something your local college or community college might be interested in, if they're not already doing, but it does open up that opportunity, again, for students who may be incarcerated, but expectedly will be getting out at some point, to get Pell Grant to help pay for school expenses. So before we continue on with the news, why don't we take ourselves just a little bit of a musical break here and come back for more. And just like that, we are back for the second cup segment here on the What's Brewing Seas for Show. That was a live uh, gulp there of my springtime brew or something that somebody had in my K-Cup machine. Uh, pod resters there. Uh, pod rack uh, that I'm trying out today to make sure we get through this show without any problems. So let's pick up with a little bit more from NASFA. They had a nice little article here that uh, talks about free college sounds good, but is it the best idea? New report highlights alternatives. So as it says here, while free college programs are proliferating across the country and President Biden hopes to implement one at the federal level for community colleges, a new report published from public policy focused think tank Third Way suggests there are more viable alternatives to provide an affordable path to a higher education than, as they say, the slogan-friendly free college concept. I think it probably, that's, in my words too, I would say that's probably exactly summed up right. It is slogan-friendly. It's easy to say free college or free college for all. But what does that really mean? So the authors of this, uh, which include some professors at Davidson, William and Mary, and some other places, argue that free college creates a landscape of winners and losers among states based on their spending and investment in higher education. And policymakers should instead look to other avenues to support students. I can say I believe this was something talked about on an off-the-cuff podcast from NASFA, and I've heard a little bit about this too on some other uh, readings and such that I've done. 
it really is a case that <clears throat> because of the way the federal program is potentially put together, and this could be in the American Families Plan Act that uh, President Biden um, is uh, putting forth, depending upon how much a state puts forth in money can make a real difference in how much federal money they get, thus in order to try to offer free tuition. So um, it's some uh, weird incentives potentially for some states to either lower or raise their costs accordingly. For example, here in California, I don't know what the exact effect would be, but keep in mind that we only charge $46 per unit. We realistically are probably the lowest cost type of institution across the U.S. Most college community colleges, for instance, uh, students across the U.S. probably are closer to 100 or more per unit uh, cost for their classes. We've always been the lowest. At one point, we were free. I mean, that was a good day. By the time I moved to California in 1999, I think it was $11 per unit. And even I, uh, coming from a state that wasn't a, an expensive state for community college, I thought, is this right? Is this the right cost? Not only that, I remember reading up because I wanted to study up on California aid because I was coming from out of state. I wondered, did I have the right information? And then I saw that they have a fee waiver for this. And I was wondering, so if you're taking 12 units at $11, do we really need a fee waiver? But there's always reasons for that because, again, we don't want tuition costs to be the holdup for students to come to school. Because it's only one step and one cost in going to school. We've got the cost of books and supplies, living expenses, transportation. You still have to get your way to the college. So taking all that into account, I could see later down the line why we had things like fee waivers and financial aid, even when classes were relatively inexpensive. So I'll give you a link to that NASFA article, and it'll give you a link to the report on this. One more item from NASFA, or maybe a few more here. Uh, so there is a bill put forth at this point and reintroduced that would restore subsidized federal student loans for graduate borrowers. So this is something that's been gone for a number of years. But this is something that, you know, would look at graduate students could, again, be eligible to access subsidized federal student loans um, for going on for a graduate degree. The bill named the Protecting Our Students by Terminating Graduate Rates That Add to Debt, so that in short means Post-Grad Act, would once again make graduate students eligible to receive direct subsidized loans, and that ended back in 2011 by the Budget Control Act. Remember, that was an act back in 2011 that effect did a lot of things, you know, based upon, you know, concern for budgets that were a little out of control at the time. So, you know, there's more in the article about how, you know, most uh, rewarding and types of uh, critical jobs in the U.S. at least at this point are requiring advanced degrees. And when you think about it, in fields like healthcare, mental health, school administration, and a lot of other programs, uh, it can be kind of expensive to go to school. And not having subsidized loans could be one more detriment to students not considering to go on for graduate school. I'll tell you, I'm a little mixed on this. Now, I did... Uh, happened to have subsidized loans while a grad student many years ago, obviously before 2011. But I can see why they may have cut it at the time. 
And I think we've talked a little bit and we've had some articles on prior shows about concerns about overborrowing or literally just very expensive graduate programs that do not have good salaries right out the gate. Uh, in particular, some East Coast schools, I'll say, were called out on the carpet in this article talking about how some of their programs, as illustrious as they are and well-known, um, for students getting out with a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt, sometimes federal loans plus private loans, have from relatively low salaries right out the door. So things always be on the lookout for when going to grad school. Let's do one more NASA thing, and then we'll uh, move on to something else here. So uh, there's some question and answer stuff out here at the NASA site about how will simplified FAFSA impact Pell Grants. And there, again, is a new report that aims to answer this. Because if you know or didn't know, major changes are coming to the FAFSA that will impact students' access to Pell Grants. So these changes were part of the FAFSA Simplification Act, passed um, back as part of a coronavirus relief package, I believe back in December. Uh, and this is all about simplifying the FAFSA and making it easier for students to access federal aid. So in a new report, it examines how the changes will impact Pell Grant recipients and such. And this is done by the Urban Institute. And what they did is they found that the share of students receiving the grant will increase slightly from 42% to 45%. And the average amount offered will remain almost the same as before at about $3,900. The report estimates, based on data from 2015-16 and a statistical model created by the Urban Institute, that most students will receive roughly the same amount of funding as they would have previously. What will change is some of the demographics of the income earning, um, you know, bands for students. So, for example, here. Dependent students from families who earn between thirty-eight and seventy-five thousand dollars, and seventy-five to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, will see the greatest changes in their Pell amounts, according to the report. With seventeen percent students in that first group seeing an increase of at least five hundred dollars, and another twelve percent receiving Pell who otherwise would not have had Pell grant eligibility. For students and families in that seventy-five to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollar range. 7% will have their Pell Grant reduced by $500 or more, and 8% of students who previously would not have received one will be eligible now. There's a lot more statistics, I think, in the report and in this nice article out at NASFA's website, so let's not go too deep. I'll give you a link to it and the Urban Institute report, and you kind of make your own opinions from what's going forward here. Again, all things meant to simplify the FAFSA, but of course, there's always intended and unintended consequences of making changes to a federal formula. So the last couple of things here, just want to talk about some free training that's available out there for you. So from Adigo by Ascendium, as always, we've got a schedule of things coming out from them uh, for late August and into September. So if you're looking to unite personalities for a positive work environment, they have a training session coming up Tuesday, August 31st. If you're looking to do some coaching of your underperforming employees, they have a session on Thursday, September 9th. 
If you're looking here to explore the ins and outs of student loan repayment, they have a session coming up Wednesday, September 22nd. Here's a good one, it sounds like. Navigating first-generation students to success. Thursday, September 23. All these are generally 60-minute programs, and they're all free. Now, there's some other things here. For example, connecting the dots between financial behaviors and well-being. That'll be on Tuesday, September 28th. And one that's probably cuts across all things beyond just student aid and across our university here. Elevating your customer service beyond compare. Tuesday, October 5th at 11 a.m. Central Time. So that would make it 9 o'clock our time here out on the Pacific Coast. So I will give you a link to this long list from Attico as far as their smart sessions go. And hopefully you can attend some of them. Or if you're the director in the office, send some of your staff. The last bit of training, we'll go back to NASFA for a minute. NASFA has a variety of webinars out there. Now, admittedly, some of these are members only. Sometimes they are part of your package if you bought the webinar package or the value plus package and sometimes it costs even a little bit of money then and then sometimes if you're a non-member you get to pay a steep price this is why i always say even though nasa doesn't pay me to say this it's well worth the effort to be a nasa member your institution to be a nasa member our national association here uh, for the training and other things you get from them cost wise it's not that bad it is based upon the size of your institution and some other numbers, but it is well worth it for what you get. So what are they offering up here? Well, they have some different things here. This one really is one that I'm going to look at because I'm trying to get caught up on this. They have one called Always Never the Same, What's New with SAP and R2T4. This will be on September 29th at 11 o'clock out here on the coast, the 90-minute webinar. And again, it may be free for you if you've got the Value Plus and Webinar package, or if you're just a regular NASA member, 120 bucks, 244 non-members. What do you get? You get to join NASA's Joe Massman, regulatory specialist, to review key SAP or satisfactory academic progress changes you may have missed, and to cover frequently asked questions from our previous Return to Title IV or R2T4 webinar. Please note that because the topics because of the topics being covered this session will primarily focus on term-based credit hour institutions particularly those with modules. I think they put that in there in case you are a clock hour school. Um, sometimes those calculations and things are a little more complicated and just a little a little different. So, just one of many sessions. I'll give you a link to their Webinars live and on demand page in our show notes. So before we continue on here, it's time for a little bit of music as we ease our way into the end of the show. And just like that, we're back. You know, my voice is just about to go for some reason. Maybe because I have to do double talking here with my poor girl, Dana, out for the day. But we'll get her back here so she can do a last sip with us. Her and her fancy tea, that is. So what do we have here? 
Just to let you know, we will have a show on Friday. Hopefully, Dana will be available at that time. We'll see. Uh, but otherwise, expect regular shows from here on through. We're going to probably do a little more news and some other things these next few weeks because I'd like to do some interviews. But come mid-August until about the first or second week of September, most of us are tied up with the starts of our semesters. Mine starts in just a couple weeks. Some schools have already started their fall semesters, but it's hard to get a hold of people. <laughs> it's hard to get a hold of them for some time on this. Also, just like this morning where I would have normally been taping the podcast with Dana, whether remotely or in the office, uh, was the first, again, annual statewide financial aid workshop put on by the Student Aid Commission in conjunction with CASFA and CISFA. So timing and scheduling is is kind of key right now. So we hope to have some interviews come mid to late September with others from the CISFA board, others maybe from NASFA, who knows, we'll see, um, and uh, hopefully some people outside of financial aid because we're also going to be talking and revving up for our spring conference that Anna Faye, uh, current CISFA president, is working hard on, and so are a lot of others working a lot to make sure that we have a great spring conference. So I don't really have any uh, I dare you to's for today. Uh, you know, preparation-wise, uh, it's been a busy day here at the office. What can I say? Uh, but definitely we'll have something for you come Friday. So I'd like to thank my co-host Dana, even though she couldn't join us here today on the show. And, of course, thank you, our audience, for tuning in. You know, if you have questions or you have some topics you'd like us to talk about, please email us at wbcisfa at gmail.com. You can find this and all What's Brewing CISFA podcasts on Google Podcasts, your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the TuneIn app on your Amazon Echo by using Alexa. What's Brewing CISFA is a production of Studio 1051, a creative collaboration of Dana and myself. This has been episode number 115, recorded the afternoon or nighttime of Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. Hope everyone has a great day and have a great week.